And welcome to episode eight of the Data Driven Security Podcast. My name is Jay Jacobs, and joining me, Bob Rudis. How are you, Bob? Jay, I'm exhausted. And and why is that? Because uh, I just got done doing two back-to-back, like, 20-mile bike rides, and I had to move my daughter up two flights of stairs into a new apartment. Huh. And then you, uh, you're you tired from sitting in a chair, too, I bet. I'm, I'm exhausted from sitting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, uh, that's good. A little manual labor. And, and you're getting over some nasty illness, I believe. I I am. I'm I'm upright though, doing okay. Thanks for asking. And we we have some guests. Guests? It's the gang. Yeah. Wait, wait, guests. This is the gang. This is the gang. The gang has returned. Can we call the podcast that? Yeah. So there was a joke. So we had these three fellows on our first podcast uh, seven episodes ago. And the joke was that uh, we had all of the data scientists in the security industry, what we were going to do from that point on, right? And and so uh, it did take us seven episodes, but we got them back on for a return visit, right? And we've had some people on in the meantime. There's more than just these three. We found more. So let's uh, let's go through them one by one here. Let's start with uh, the man on vacation, uh, Mr. Michael Reutman. How are you doing, Michael? And where Pretty are good. you? Please describe am, where you are. I am in a Starbucks in Honolulu. Just got off the beach uh, through some backwards means. Ended up with a place with Wi-Fi. Well, it's nice to have you. Thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule. I, I, oh. I got to figure out how Ed managed to afford a data center in Hawaii. <laughs> yeah. No work is being done. All right, next up, let's go to uh, Mr. Alex Pinto. Alex, how are you doing? I am very good, very, very good. And I'm um, happy that um, the conferences in Vegas are over, and I'm also almost recuperated. I, I, I managed to shoehorn in moving houses just after the conference, so it's been a bit, a bit crazy, but now, yeah, I think we're... Are you still in exile, or are you back in the States now? I am back in the States, no more exile. So, okay. Yeah. Good. Good times. Better off for it. All right. Next one up is Russ Russell Thomas. Russ, how you doing? I'm doing very good. It's a bright, sunny day here in California. It's not earthquake weather at all. <laughs> Thereby destroying the theory that earthquakes happen on uh, warm, very warm, dry, stale air days. Okay. I think. Uh, yeah. I was gonna say I think you win the uh, the award for best looking headphones. They're the uh, Dominator brand. They are. They are. Hey, so is is that the Thomas Earthquake Scoring System you just came up with? Yeah. Somebody, you know, I was working on that for a long time, and then did a Google search and found out somebody came up with a uh, really well known earthquake scoring system before me. So I shifted gears. Nah, that's good. That's our guy. Mm. All right, well, 
we have all five of us on this podcast, and um, boy, there are so many different things that we could talk about. Um, so let's. What I wanted to do though was kind of go through and and talk about what the heck we're all doing now. So I think all of us are working on uh, uh, really interesting things. And actually, I'm, I might start with Bob. Bob, what uh, you just came up with a package that you released in our package, uh, DT Update. Do you want to talk about that? Because I think it's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah, that's one of the like one of the many public R packages that I've, I've released of late. Uh, this one, uh, given that the I'm, I'm going to say this, and thankfully no real R people are going to listen to this podcast. So like, given that the Cran universe sucks so bad. Um, it's just so elitist, whatever, and it's just impossible to get stuff into there, you know, at least from us. Um, this is one where this lets you, uh, if you are part of the DevTools universe or kind of like to live on the edge, uh, it'll figure out what in your current list of packages has a GitHub version and let you know how far to date you are and give you the ability to update it if you dare. Good. And it's, it's super cool. It's super lightweight, too. Yeah, and it uses a cool new dplyr because Jay wouldn't shut up about that. So right, <laughs> dang right. And so, and there uh, there are a whole bunch of other packages that Jay and I have like been releasing, trickling out. And one of these days we got to do a podcast on maybe creating the bio, the equivalent of the bioconductor for the security folk. In other words, get everybody yeah. like like Mr. Pinto and all those guys who are doing really cool R stuff, and just get Actually, one big big whole repository like you know yeah. there for just take, a, take a moment, Bob, and talk about the NetIntel package too. Uh, yeah, so I've got a bunch, right? So the Resolve package lets you do cool DNS stuff. Uh, we actually did a bunch. We, we we actually did a bunch of stuff with that at work this past week. Um, yeah. The the Net Intel package completely re, uh, re rewrote it for performance reasons um, and to stop David Severski. I do everything to stop people from whining. So all you have to do to get me to do work is whine. Um, so <laughs> so we got Dplyr in the DT update. Uh, yeah, well, I'm I'm gonna switch over and just before you start using NetIntel, I gotta get Dplyr in there too, so you stop whining about that. Yeah, no kidding. Um, so the NetIntel package lets you get all sorts of you know cool information, and we some of that started from work in the book and just expanded out of there to make it easier to do that. Uh, there's an IP tools package as well too that's got a bunch of cool data sets um, and a whole bunch of stuff that lets you work better with IP addresses as well. And in the coming weeks, you're going to get some stuff related to Netful and the Silk Toolkit as well, too, the whole the whole universe out there. So, nice, cool stuff, cool stuff on the way. Yeah, and uh, okay, great. I have not been keeping pace with you on those packages. I think <laughs> I only have one or two out there, and they're a little little less exciting. Yeah, but but the one I'm not sure if any, if any of the folks on on the Hangout saw it, but that T TLD update. Uh, it's pretty cool exam. foundational stuff there for some other stuff you're going to be releasing soon. So yeah, yeah, and that that'll be a big release I think when I the next thing I release is going to be huge. Just so everybody's aware, the next thing's going to be huge. So kind of. All right, let's go to uh, let's go to the, the guy in the coffee shop, Mr. Reitman. What uh, what have you been doing? What's been uh, what's been on your mind lately? Oh, so I've got <clears throat> two things I'm working on. One is figuring out a way to get zero days onto vulnerability and asset scan data. So we have a lot of that, and we've recently, at RISC.io, partnered with uh, iDefense, so we get zero day information. But there's really no reliable way to figure out whether an asset has a zero day on it or not. So I've been playing around with merging a couple of data sets, using CPE as an in-between data set, to kind of say, chances are the zero day affects this asset. And it's by no means a certain way to do it, but say you've got a zero day that affects uh, 
some version of Windows and you know that you have a vulnerability that only affects that version of Windows. Yeah. I'm doing that kind of merge to say, I don't know what software you're running on an asset, but chances are the zero-day affects whatever you've got on there. Hmm. So that's my kind of day job. And then on the side, I've been working with uh, Dave Saversky and Kimberly Price on figuring out ways to measure how a vulnerability scoring system how much better vulnerability the software system is than CVSS. So this was one of the things I did last year in very crude terms. But these people, you know, on the red team side and on the practitioner side have their own ways to do better than CVSS. And the three of us are trying to figure out a good way to kind of standardize measuring how good your system is. And what's the what's the goal with that? Is the goal to release something publicly or to just to get something for you guys or what's the goal there? Uh, definitely publicly. This is uh, probably, if all goes well, will end up being an RSA submission. Maybe, maybe an RSA talk. Um, the idea is I think a lot of people are trying to do better than the current systems. And there's no really formal method for figuring out how well it's doing. So we are going to try to run it through some training data sets, run it through some incident data, and hopefully these the different types of scoring systems we come up with We'll catch a lot of the incidents based on a training data set. Okay, great. It'll be crude, right? Because the both the incident data and the training data sets are going to be pretty crude. But I think it's but, better than nothing. Right. It's better than what we have. Right. Right. So, and that's that's really the goal, right? We don't need perfect. We just need better than what we have. So yeah. that's fantastic. Definitely paying attention to your recent article in Usenix with Dan Gear. Oh yeah. So. So Good. as we do, as we release those data sets, the mistakes we made I made at least last year is the none of it was really formalized as to what it is and what the sample size is. Good. This time we're gonna try to do a much better job of that. Fantastic. I had influence. That's great. <laughs> That's great to hear. All right, Mr. Pinto, what is on your mind? What have you been doing? Uh, you've been buried, right? So what what's on your mind? Well, it's 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 amazing what being exiled um, does for your code, right? You'd actually have so much more time to write code and stuff like that. I mean, there was this whole like sports event going on in Brazil back uh, uh -huh. a couple of months ago. I'm not sure what it was about. I was the I was just coding. You weren't paying attention. Yeah, I wasn't paying attention. It had something to do with coffee or coffee cups, right? Something like that. Yeah, there was a cup involved. I'm sure. I'm sure. Hey, how many people have come up and apologized for the? Uh... The World Cup to you? Like, Not a lot. People have asked, like, uh, okay, how was it? And I said, well, the first couple of goals were, you get upset, right, because you really want to win. But after the fourth one, you're just laughing with them because it's just so yeah. ridiculous, right? <laughs> it's like, this doesn't make any sense. This is like, what world is this? Did I just yeah. go? And so, anyway, it's good. It's good. It's Wake-up calls are good, are always good. Right. Because, and anyway. Yeah. But well, about the work to, part, right? I, you know, be, before we get to Russ, I just want to say it's probably just a black swan event, right? <laughs> so, but uh, what have you what have you been working on though? So I I just um, I just uh, presented two different talks in in Black Hat, B sides, and DefCon, and uh, so they were both they were both different aspects of the work that I'm I'm doing right now. So. Uh, the one, the there's, I mean, both of them are published. Both of, the slides are published for both of them, and uh, there's a linky thing on the podcast. We can probably have them there. But the the um, 
There was one about specifically about analyzing threat intelligence feeds, uh, which uh, ties into all this potential stuff that you could be consuming from uh, public sources, and maybe you're buying uh, commercial threat intelligence feeds, indicator feeds from providers. Um, how can you start thinking about how to measure them and how to compare them against each other to figure out if uh, you're getting good value for your money? Or maybe you're just ingesting some feeds that are harming you more than helping you because they got a bunch of false positives there. I mean, a bunch of people pointing to Google.com as, as, as a source of maliciousness. We're probably not going to be. Whatever you're using the threat intelligence for is probably not very good. So right. I worked with uh, Kyle Maxwell on this one. Mm -hmm. And we put together a couple of tools. We published a couple of open source tools under the YAMLSEC project uh, banner, so to speak. And one of them to actually gather the stuff in Python, right? And uh, so it goes up to a bunch of different sources that we identified and vetted-ish, right? We, we, we right. certainly, I mean, they are, they are what they are. We, we have very little control. And, uh, and uh, parses it all off to a JSON format. You can export it to a, to a CSV format that then is consumed by the TIQ test, uh, which is threat intelligence quotient test, like an IQ test. Right? Right. Very funny, haha. And uh, we are, uh, and then you can run some comparisons and some things, which is it's pretty much a work in progress. We're working on how much do these things update, how much do new indicators get added and leave, how much overlap there is among those different uh, sources, and how much. Um, what is the population composition? And maybe I'm doing some inference testing on if the population composition is similar to what you would expect from a, an, a hypothetical general population or maybe the stuff on your network, right? So you can tell if this is appropriate or not for you. There was a bunch of other cool ideas of stuff we could develop, in, in, including yourself, Jay. You, you give me some good ideas as well. Yeah. And we're going to be working on that. And uh, there was another one which was more about the machine learning thing that I... I've been doing it's 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 a lot about uh, putting some structure on people's ideas around um, what should they expect from machine learning products and security uh, what are uh, in a way potential pitfalls I mean if people are talking about anomaly detection these are the kinds of things you should be looking out for these are the questions you should be asking vendors right mm -hmm. so that you can make sure that they're doing a good job and uh, I also talk a little bit about uh, what we have been building and, and, and specifically about one model which involves threat intelligence, right? This is why there was so much that we developed around threat intelligence on the other talk uh, to actually try to extrapolate the knowledge on the threat intelligence feeds and uh, taking out false positives and, uh, and actually learning new, new patterns from uh, just IP indicators and, and domain indication feeds and, 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 and enriching them with a bunch of different stuff and using that as a classifying engine. So it's, uh, it's, it's looking pretty good and we're, we're getting some novel stuff. Some of, some, of course there's always false positives but we have, we have more than one case where we were, okay, this, I, this, this machine is infected by something. No, it's not. We're looking through it. We've looked at it for a day and then the following day the antivirus pops up and okay now I, I found there was something there and it was related to the IP address that we identified that was potentially uh, a threat so it's fun it's it's been it's been it's been a lot of work and uh, especially putting together two talks is a lot of work I don't know I mean if you guys have never done that never do it's like <laughs> I, I actually talk to people 
don't ever let me do this again. If I go next year, I think I'm going to submit three talks. Don't let me, right? It's yeah. going to be, it's going to be like the the, the talk devil uh, in my in my shoulder. But uh, yeah, it's a lot. A lot of work can be done when you're exiled. But, but before we get to Rust, though, um, with with you and, and Mr. Whiteman having done the whole B sides and and beyond gig for for the Black Hat DefCon thing. Um, how how was the whole concept of like security data science received by by those communities out there? I I, I realized that B side sort of had a data track, but I'm just curious as to you know yeah. you were you were there you experienced it firsthand. How, how did that stuff go over? Yeah, I think uh, Michael 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 was was even talking about his his um, his blog post right that you were talking about the ground truth. I mean, do you want to talk a little bit more about yeah. that? <clears throat> I mean, I really liked it, not even for the talk content, which would be just a plug for me and Alex, but for the attendance numbers. The room was full the entire time of people who seemed to care about data-driven security, which is a good sign in and of itself. I think a lot of the kind of high-level machine learning talks, or I gave a talk about power law distributions and security, uh, probably would have been too technical or too mathy maybe a couple of years ago. And today, the room was packed full of both practitioners and other people who are doing data science and security. So you were pretty wrong to say the three of us are the entirety of the data oh, science yeah. security field. It's it's growing, and the numbers show speak for themselves. Um, I really like the track. I think it breaks out what at least is my domain in security, which is you know applying mathematical methods to it. And I think it's important to break those out because often you'll look at an analysis of a piece of software or maybe you know a type of malware detection or a specific vulnerability. And that's a very different security game than what the five of us are trying to work on, I think. Right. Yeah. I have I, a question. Uh, oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say that. Uh, and I, I, I also think that that's the way to go forward in, in, in some of these conferences. And if you look at the, the talk list on Black Hat and DEF CON, it was like there were two talks in Black Hat that actually had machine learning as a word, and uh, one was mine, and the other one was from from a guy from Invincia who's been doing some malware classification stuff, which is actually pretty cool. And uh, on DefCon, it was uh, me and uh, someone that created a, a machine learning model to play the Hearthstone game, the one from Blizzard, which was actually a great talk, right? But I mean, it wasn't really security. So, I mean, maybe I, I think, my, so it's not, not that there's not good content there. It's not that there's not good people submitting. I know a bunch of them. But uh, since uh, there's no, like, breakout and uh, there's no, maybe there are not, the review board is not trained to look for the right things uh, on this kind of talks, they're not getting the, 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 the respect or the, 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 the actually showing up as much as they should on these conferences. That's, that's my take. Did you guys get a feel for, I mean, I know the room was packed, but were they, were they packed because people wanted to learn more or were they packed because they were already working with this stuff and wanted to know what other people were doing? You know what I mean? Like, or was it a lot of beginners or was it more experienced people? Do you have any sort of feel for that as you guys were talking to the audience? Like when you said power law, Michael, did you get a bunch of blank stares or were people like nodding saying, oh yeah, power law? Um, so both, I think. I okay. tried to make the talk something that explains what power laws are and then what their application to security is. 
full well right. knowing that I don't think most practitioners care much. So the goal of the talk was to make people care about the difference in distributions less so than proving those distributions. Right. But afterwards, there was a pretty healthy discussion that ranged from incredibly technical questions that I don't know if I could answer on the fly myself to questions about how do I apply this to my C-level? How do I make them see that there's no average security breach and how do I, what kind of phrases or words do I use? So I think the range of questions was really nice. It was some people that really cared about the technical stuff and other people that were like, oh, this seems like something I should take home. How do I take it home in layman's terms? And I think those people attending is really the big value add. If the people that are just trying to get an insight, take it home to their security practice, are coming to our data-driven talks, we're doing the right things. Right. Yeah. And there's actually a quote that I wrote down, Michael, from your talk, and, and I, I really hate it when people quote me and back to me and ask me for details, but I'm going to do that to you if that's okay. But and right. actually, I don't even need you to comment. I, I just think it was a really cool quote. And it was right there in the middle, and you said, um, you were talking about the power law and what it actually means, and you said, both the probability of the attack path and the impact is concentrated in the fat tail of the distribution. That means that our strategies need to be tailored to preventing one big breach, and it means that there's no average breach. Right? Yeah, this takes just, us back to earthquakes in California, right? Nobody thinks about the average earthquake that hits San Francisco. Yeah. And yet we think that there's average things in security, which is just as complex and random of a system as the tectonic plate system. Right. So I guess, and to, to like kind of get to what you were talking about there, is that there's, you really have to talk about the entire distribution of loss, right? That you can't just say, here's an average, here's standard deviation, that sort of thing, right? Yeah. So I think that's an important takeaway that people like Russ and Alex also point out quite often. Uh, what's also really interesting is that other things like classifications or breakdowns of CVE types or distributions of attack paths, not just attack impact, those are also all clustered in the fat tail. And we often think that, you know, maybe we know that the impact is really fat tailed and there can be all sorts of black and gray and red swans out there. But we don't think about the fact that the one particular attack path could be more important than all the other ones for vulnerability strategy. Yeah. yeah hey, folks, stuff. I got a joke for you. Okay. Power law walks into a bar. Bartender says, I've had 100 power laws today. Nobody's ordered a beer. Power law says, I'll take 1,000 beers, please. <laughs> I got that off of Twitter. Oh, God. <laughs> Well, hey, Alex, I have, a, I have a question for you. Go ahead. And this is something I'm thinking about. What is threat intelligence? So all of Black Hat is just littered with those marketing words. And I mean, Risk.io, we do threat intelligence. We don't really talk about IPs. I guess this is a question for everybody. What do we mean by threat intelligence? Yeah, what do you mean by big data, right? Yeah. Or risk. Yeah, no, I guess the, the, the point is, um, I think the, uh, a fair definition would be uh, delivering external information uh, to your environment, to your organization that has been at least minimally curated that can help you with some sort of identification of threats. The problem is there are so many different layers in which this information can be delivered from a specific indicator, so these are IP addresses, or these are the new vulnerabilities and CVE uh, thingies that showed up uh, this last week, 
where there is, okay, this is a very scary panda that's trying to get you, right? Which is potentially much more elaborated and much more uh, uh, thought through and researched, but in a very narrow scope as far as, as what the threat is. So it can literally, I think it at this point, it can literally mean anything just like advanced analytics and big data. So it's about measuring the inputs to your models, right? So you have a specific input of IPs, and at Risk.io I have a specific input of CV successful exploits. Yeah, but but I don't think it's just IPs though, right? I mean, like Alex, I don't want to speak to you, but I mean, we're you know, we're we're sort of doing similar re you know parallel tracks of research, I think, and it's coming up with what features are actually important. And, and actually just coming up with what all potential features and then figuring out which ones are important. So it's not just the IP address or even like the feed it came from, but like what makes that IP address special, what makes that domain name special, whatever, like what, what, are, the, what are all the things we can know about that and then what makes that useful for you know, indicating whether a threat is, is more real or not. No, yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. I, I had misunderstood the question. I thought you were asking general and not specifically on my usage. Uh, no, I think I, I think I am asking the general question. Yeah. And I think what I really like about your talk and your model is that most people would just throw on more data or more facets and then see if the model is performing well. But mm -hmm. measuring the intelligence of the input is something that's probably more important than my No, it, it became very clear to me that, uh, so at first I had the view that if I had enough uh, if I had enough confidence on my, my non-malicious data, uh, I would be able to even out a lot of gross mis uh, bad mistakes on the on the on the different feeds, and I, I soon figured out that that's not the case because the all the models of everything is very unbalanced, right? There's actually very little information on goodness, right? With that you can easily find, so you have to rely, you have to be very good on 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 what you're consuming to the model on on the badness side. So that at least in this specific uh, problem space, uh, you can be you can actually get good uh, good reliable answers and not so many uh, um, false positives. So I, I think managing the input is 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 one of the once you feel like and I feel like if you have a model that works, it's I mean I, yeah of course I can add some more features I have some ideas for that but it's it's more about controlling the input to make sure that it it delivers a good output at this moment. And I want to I want to finish the uh, initial round here and get to Russ and and uh, we can come back to that topic I guess. But Russ, I just wanted to know what kind of stuff are are you thinking? And I I haven't checked lately. Have you even done a blog post recently? Or you've just like gone head first into work. Uh, I have not done blog posts in a long time. I mean, mainly it's announcing where I've been speaking. Um, so let, the, let me just that, say though that if you if you are not writing blog posts, I think that our industry as a whole is worse off. Why? Well, thank just you, so Jay. Aware, so okay, I'll uh, see what I can do to reprioritize. Right. Not that I'm, I'm not thinking about things, but they tend to be channeled right. into other things. So what what have what have you been thinking about? What's on the top of your mind? Um, a range of things from what you might consider mundane to very exotic. So the mundane things include uh, going through our SharePoints, looking for documents that relate to compliance requirements. So uh, financial services, we go through a lot of audits and compliance checks, and I'm helping to support that right now. 
But what I find interesting is because of my background and mindset, I'm not just doing this as a checkbox exercise. I'm actually using it as sort of a diagnostic tool to understand uh, what about our processes do we have well-controlled and well-documented? Where do we have things that are gaps? Um, and uh, this relates to a more interesting exercise, which is uh, how to come up with performance metrics related to control effectiveness and process effectiveness. Uh, so most of my work historically has been at, let's say, enterprise-level risk modeling. Now I'm much closer to the front lines of security and security operations, and um, I'm pretty excited to be have hands-on uh, work in that arena. And um, the type of work I'm doing there sort of centers on our uh, ticketing system for incidents and change requests. Um, so historically, we've had a lot of metrics that just report trends in tickets and how long they take to resolve and what priority. Um, and I'm sure nearly every organization has those reports. Um, but they don't have very much diagnostic value. Uh, so what I'm doing is uh, starting to pull together information from many different sources to try to identify patterns that might indicate what, what causes us uh, to be in a state where we're more likely to have a, a P1 incident versus another type. And right. how does that relate to control changes, organization changes, resource changes? Um, so it's a very, uh, it's small data for now. I'm looking at individual cases and individual records and really focusing on making sense of things. Um, I'm also uh, applying the Thomas scoring system, which I'm going to be presenting at Syracon. We'll I was talk going about to transition that. into that, so uh, why don't you talk about that? Well, I just want, want to mention one other thing. Uh, some people may know I'm in the PhD program at George Mason, and as part of that work, I've been exploring various uh, simulation methods uh, to model ecosystems, and eventually I think this is going to have a very neat application to security. Uh, because we tend not to have simulation models that model the whole system of attackers, defenders, technology, uh, organizations. Um, so, uh, you know, that's that's in my academic work, and that's got some interesting potential. And I'm working with some folks at Stanford. Uh, one gal's got a background in immunology. So uh, that's one of the cool things about my place in the universe, that I get to find people like that. Yeah. Oh, one more thing, one more thing. I want to just add this as a teaser because no Silicon Valley talk would be uh, complete without a teaser. So um, I, um, I had a chance to be at the workshop on economics of information security, uh, the DHS day, and Ali Miller was there and um, Patrick Floor. And one of the things I mentioned that day was the importance of institutional innovation if we're going to improve incentives. You can't just create the incentives, you've got to create the institutions around them to support them. So I've got some activity going that can be classified as stealth mode to try and get that going. So I'm talking to some people and getting some approvals and actually trying to get some projects going that might turn into funding in the next you know, two to three to six months so that come springtime we actually have some things to show. 
And I'm excited about it, and I would like to talk more about it, but I'll, I'll refrain from doing so until it starts happening. Okay. All right. That sounds pretty exciting, though. So as, as you alluded to, though, Russ, I think all five of us are going to be at Siricon presenting. Uh, I think we're all, yeah, we're all doing individual talks. So I think that'll be pretty Yay. interesting. And I think, uh, I think afterwards we might be able to hang out and, and uh, have dinner or something. I don't know. Kind of excited about that, all of us together in one physical location. Oh, this sounds like it's fraught with peril. I mean, what if, like, what they could just bomb us? What there goes, like, you know, so we're like half the. So if we're not all, we're half the data-driven security people out there. So. No, we aren't. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Actually, before I, 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 I only did that to interject. So Russ, one of the cool things you could try to do, uh, so we we at previous for, former gig, we had done the whole let's go to the the the, the ticketing system stuff as well too, and there I think they're still doing it. Um, but doing some NLP on the actual text, because as you probably discovered, the actual tickets themselves suck, and every, like the whole meat is actually in this you know totally freeform text field. So NLP on there to try to help figure some of this stuff out can can really do a good job. NLP being natural language processing. Well, who well, I, well I, I so you do this all the time, and like who else is listening to this that doesn't no no one that doesn't know what NLP. I, your mom? I support. I, I support Jay. I support explaining things and not just dropping insider yeah. abbreviations. Yep. Thank you, Russ. Thank so, you. Russ, I want to, just wanted to, to to say one thing very quickly. I think would be very interesting if you're doing your your ecosystem kind of analysis uh, around the attackers versus defenders and things like that. And uh, overlaying that with the the economic layer of uh, bug, bug bounty programs, so I, there's a there's a few there's a few companies popping up that are they actually they seem to have very interesting data uh, around this this kind of things right and I think there's there might be some interesting models there to to be created and trained and analyzed around uh, how these two different, potentially very different things interact, right? Uh, that's a very fine example of the, the sort of research I want to enable. And another way to position this, if anybody reads the uh, academic literature on economics of information security, you'll see a large volume of papers using game theory. A very few of them use evolutionary game theory, but m most of them use traditional closed form or extensive form game theory. And, but that excludes the uh, evolutionary, co-evolutionary, novelty generating aspects which are intrinsic. They're very central to uh, the nature of the game that we're in. And um, I've asked a number of people about why people aren't doing more research in that direction and part of the answer comes down to research tools. Um, you know, the tools that they have at their disposal, uh, the data they have at their disposal, or the lack of data leads them in certain directions. And so by bringing in uh, computational modeling, agent-based modeling, ecosystem modeling, um, I hope to serve, obviously, my own needs, but make whole new categories of research possible. And that was a good example, Alex. Very exciting. So this is actually something that when I was researching my power law talk came up quite a few times and 
when people do those kinds of static game theoretic models, they end up with loss distributions and event distributions that don't really look like the real data. And uh, nobody really knows how power loss come to be, but one of the theories is a co-evolutionary model where attacker groups and defender groups grow in size and fall apart at random times, somehow you know, moving in and out of equilibrium. And the only way to describe that kind of behavior is exactly what Russ is talking about. That's partially why I think it's part of the analytic reason as to why I'm seeing this kind of power law data and people aren't recognizing it yet. So you guys keep talking. I'm looking up a recent, very recent paper that was published, I believe, in Nature uh, that talked about power law generation related to novelty. So if you guys keep talking, I'll find it and then uh, I'll, I'll mention it. Ah, dynamics of correlated novelties. We'll have a link up on the uh, on the blog post on the blog site. Yeah, send that over to Bob, and we'll get that into the show notes. Yeah, I got it. I got it. Oh, you got it. Yeah. Of course you do. <laughs> um, pretty charts in it, by the way. Is that a sarcastic thing, or? No, no. There's actually pretty. There's actually pretty. There's not not a pie chart to be found, and they're all pretty useful charts. It's kind of cool. What can you tell what it was generated with? Just out of curiosity. Uh, I need to bring them up. Uh, it is conceivable that it's R, actually. It is definitely not Python because the graphics are actually readable. Um, oh, I'm when you when you get publications like uh, in Nature, PNAS, and Science, the graphics are always first rate. They're not just coming off of somebody's Excel spreadsheet. Actually, yeah. I so they it actually looks like it's R. It actually looks like it's base graphics too. Which is they're really nice too. So. No, I think uh, I think uh, Alex's tool used base graphics in our. I'm sorry. I'm just I pointing will, it out. I will I'm not saying good or bad. No, no, we we are dissing that. As a matter of fact, that, like you you have an R pubs up for your whole talk. That is yeah. so freaking incredible. Yeah. Like yeah, seriously, cool. yeah. All the data is there. All the yeah, data oh, yeah. used for those graphs are there. So anybody can can do different things and 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 uh, figure out what they think. Right? Yeah, very cool. Yep. All right. Well, let's see. Um, now I think at at Syracon, Alex, you're going to talk about your machine learning talk. Yes. Right. And Michael, you're going to go over your power law talk. Yep. Um, Russ, you're going to talk about your scoring system, which is something that you touched on very briefly at Metricon in the spring. You've had a blog post on it, I believe. Right. Yes. And, uh, uh, so what I'm going to be presenting is, I don't know, probably one third of the talk is basic intro for people who don't who aren't familiar with the concepts. Um, right. That's pretty important to get your head around, even if you don't use the scoring system. Right. Um, and the other half is to uh, talk about two, possibly three examples of it in use. Um, both to demonstrate its value and to share lessons learned, so people can get a feeling for, um, you know, is this feasible? Uh, what does this accomplish? How much work is involved? Um, and if I've got a good tailwind between now and then, I hope to have some uh, R code up available so that people can start playing in a demo mode and, and maybe even download the R code and build their own models with it. The scoring system itself. Um, it's not based on mathematical sophistication. 
It's got a number of uh, steps of assembly that are different than if you've done like a weighted scoring system before. Uh, and the only trick is thinking about scoring in a different way from the point of view of evidence rather than just arithmetic. Right. And that, that might be similar to where I'm going to go in my talk. And I, I guess I'll slide into that. And just So what I'm going to talk about is if I could have talked to myself when I started getting into uh, security risk and trying to do risk analysis, if I could talk to that person five, six, seven years ago, what would I want that person to know? Right, and, and now that I've gotten into statistics and machine learning, there's this whole field around feature engineering, right, where you, you pick out what variables you want to include, and then you actually validate them, right, and you see how they contribute. And that's the kind of stuff I want to talk about and say, you know, model selection, how you don't just create a model and start using it, you create a model and measure its effectiveness, its efficiency, its all that good stuff. And we can talk about different techniques within statistics and, and machine learning. And it came up because at, at Metricon, this started in my head, there was a, a guy from, from that I know from Sierra and other things, and he said, hey, Jay, within, within statistics, do you guys measure how good a variable is in a model? And I was like, yeah, you know, of course you do. What, who wouldn't? You know, I'm like, oh, wait, that's right. This is like everybody does that in, in IT security. So, um, so that's what I'm going to talk about. I'm going to try and talk, you know, to my... my historical self trying to learn this stuff and, and to go straight to statistics and not bother reading anything about IT risk. Did, did your historical self, is, is that the one with hair? Uh, I don't think I had hair back then. Okay, just making sure. I might have. No, I did. I did. You're right. I'll have to bring up a picture of me with like really long hair in my rocker yes. phase. Yes, because if you don't, we'll just make one, so you better do that. Yeah. No, I got it. I'll put it up there. I'll also make sure not to uh, release that publicly because I think Russ would have a field day with it. He would, unfortunately. Yes, he would. So, um, so Bob, what are you talking about? Uh, I What's the title of my talk? Uh, uh, Enterprise Risk Management, Building Telemetry Practices to Improve the Culture of Assurance. And uh, this is not actually directed really at the, the like, in-the-trenches practitioner, um, although I think they can benefit from it. This is more from me dealing with multiple different boards of directors, uh, both at maybe previous gig and while there, other folks in other industries and at that level. And the boards of directors and the senior leadership, they're having a huge time. They understand financial models. They, they understand how to deal with financial risk management. I mean, I, you know, they all admit they don't have it solved, but they at least understand those things better. And then, you know, they get handed these, you know, PowerPoint presentations full of red, yellow, and green, and socks, and PCI, all this kind of garbage that, that we hand them. And they have no idea what to make out of it, and they're not even sure they actually even trust what's going on there, because you know, I'm sure of all the breaches we've seen this past year, lots of people got told, oh, yeah, we're great, great, right? And they're not really, so... Um, this is giving the, those that level of people the ability to use services like Mr. Reutemann's uh, or to go do things with like BitSight or to go work with White Hat. Basically, I'll be covering a whole bunch of places that people can go to to get an independent view of what they look like, how to aggregate it together, and then use that to build on having a discussion with their internal folk on how they can do the same thing and repeat the same thing internally so that really from every level there's that whole assurance thing going on that we, we may not know, like we may not be 100% secure, but we, we have a better idea of where we actually are than we did before. Fantastic.
I am so excited to see all these talks. I think, oh man, I, I think we're gonna try and get uh, get these recorded as well. Oh. So hopefully, hopefully there will be an artifact afterwards that people who weren't able to attend should be able to get access. I hope. Yeah, I, I actually, um, I don't know if anyone's seen the Guardians of the Galaxy, but they actually, he's like the kid in there, and 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 you know, of course, the the lead actor has. Yeah, you know, the same Sony Walkman that I had with the orange headphones, and I think I can dig that out, and we can at least record it onto you know tape that we can distribute to people if we want. Onto cassette tape. Man. Awesome risk mix in volume one. That's a oh yes. I'd rather set the bar higher and have the same sort of uh, video online that uh, besides Las Vegas had. Yeah, that did a fantastic sound. So Russ just said he's going to fund that. Did you hear that? That's what I heard. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I got my uh, Bitcoin mining machine going as we speak. Jeez. So uh, aside from all of that, does anybody have uh, any big projects or interesting things that they're working on that they want to announce to the world? Well, I am. I'm still doing what I've been doing. It's mostly around the the what we're calling MLSec project. And uh, it's we. I think we're really close to having something that will be very beneficial to a very good good number of people. So we are we're actually very active in finding new participants and uh, putting them in contact with the models that we're using in some sort of alpha testing of this thing, so that we can be entirely sure that this is actually something that is of value. So, I mean, like I said on the talks, I mean, if anyone is interested, want to reach out, we can definitely find some way to to try to work together and see how it goes. When you say to participate, you're saying like they, talk about what that means, like if somebody... Yeah, okay, so what does that mean? You're right. So it's, it's uh, we we actually need a bunch of a uh, bunch of log data in order to feed the models and to make sure that they work. And uh, so we set up a uh, 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 a kind of structure where a participant of the project they will be uh, providing us with their log data from FIRO logs and IDS logs and web proxy servers and DNS logs if they have them right uh, and uh, it, and we will use that to 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 fill the models and also to provide them with a, a, a prioritized view of okay. If let's let's assume you have an actual uh, uh, SOC team here, which is looking through all this data and actually investigating all of this against threat intelligence feeds, comparing things like passive DNS, where these things are coming from, and country codes and AS um, topology information, right? So think replacing that with a very tiny machine learning model that will be able to provide you, I don't know, maybe 20 good leads a day of things that you should be investigating inside your environment, right? Based just on the metadata present on the log data and the DNS things. And those are actually pretty good. Those are usually pretty good and they provide good uh, leads for an actual investigation team that you have to go forward and okay, this machine is actually infected or something like that. Fantastic. All right. And that's that. So, a quick question on that, Alex. Your end goal is: um, Are you going to be publishing anything? Or, I mean, this is obviously more of a commercial venture for you, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. There, there's, I am still, there's still uncertainty. 
but uh, uh, some whatever I can uh, slice out and put out as a as an open source because I think it's like okay this this is really like just window dressing. I mean I think the if you guys haven't been do, been doing the incredible job you're doing on the on the DR NetIntel and the resolver packages and everything, uh, I would probably be doing something like that because I have all of that you know, as a part of what I'm doing. I, w I was actually trying to move away from R because I was unhappy with the performance and moved a lot of this to Python and Go, but uh, I definitely want to revisit the the optimization that you guys did. Blasphemy. I'm uh, I mean, it's just uh, there's there's good tools for something, good better tools for other things. And and, and honestly, Alex, if, if there's stuff that you need, um, like I, I am pretty intimately familiar with how to make RCPP and R work really well together for at least the yeah. stuff that we do in SEC. So like, if there's a feature request or whatever, or if there's like, hey, th this would be immensely faster if it was X, just let me know, because I mean, odds are we need it too. For what we're doing, yeah. so like definitely do that. And just to hit on one thing that, that you tweeted out about, like actually you said it during your talk, but then I I think I tweeted out, um, you know, with regard to maps, right? Maps just suck in terms of the IP address stuff. Did Did you see the post by Alberto Cairo um, this past week? He retweeted something from the Washington Post. Did Did you see that at all? I didn't. I didn't. What is yeah, it? I'm I'm just gonna like I'll, I'll paste it to you, but I'll I'll actually put it in the uh, in in the show notes. Shay, did you get a chance? Or did Did anybody see that besides me? I don't think I saw it. What can you? Yeah. So it's a really interesting look. It's a it's a different way of doing coreplets, turning coreplets into more heat mappy type objects. Um, I I thought it was actually kind of brilliant the way the Washington Post did it, and he I mean I saw I saw it from from Cairo, so uh, it may actually be. There may actually be a cool way to do IP mapping with heat maps and still have some geo associated with it without resorting to bar charts, boring bar charts. I mean, I love bar charts, but people think they're boring. So um, it's actually a really, I, I thought it was pretty wicked cool. So I, I might try to do something about that on one of our posts coming up. That's pretty interesting. That's awesome. I'll definitely have a look at it. No more maps, please. Let, let it go. <laughs> let it go. So actually, there was actually, there was actually an animated GIF. Well, you, you say that, but, but we may also be showcasing some some new stuff with the uh, the Hilbert curve maps with I, with IP space too soon. So. Oh yeah, you got to get this out there. Yeah. Yeah. We we I we, had one like a long time ago. On, on I think on my first talk, I actually okay, this might be a good way to show people. We we actually have an R module that we're going to be pushing out in like the next couple weeks. Awesome, awesome, awesome! I can totally yeah. use that. How many IPs have we fed in there, Bob? Oh, we we can any. I mean, honestly, we we run it with. Hundreds of thousands, actually. The one was hundreds of thousands, yeah. Right. That's what I'm saying. Like, it, yeah. it can handle a load and generates the... For, for those who aren't familiar, like, what was it? The um, Someone had that botnet of uh, routers or whatever that they broke into and had it scan the entire internet. And from there, they created the, this map that people probably are familiar with within security. But that's essentially a Hilbert curve uh, producing the location of different subnets in there. And... It's made so that all of them are they're close to their neighbors at all points, right? That's what the Hilbert curve was meant to do. And so it's just a, a map of essentially every IP, IPv4 address uh, on one picture. So it's it's pretty exciting to be able yeah, to we, do we, that. Yeah, we, we actually did an animated one. I, I forget over how many days, um, but that it actually was pretty insightful. It was kind of neat seeing yeah. how the things worked with that, so... Yeah, and then you also have done things like laying over the address space, so different countries' address space. Yep. How does it appear on the curve and things like that? So, yeah. Oh, cool. Thank you, Alex, for that link. Yeah. Out there. Thanks. Yeah. So we'll link to that too in the show notes. So, 
All right. Well, I think we're we're coming up on the end of our time here. Uh, Michael, did you have anything new, or Russ? You guys have any projects coming up that you want to try and uh, let people know about to get excited about? I've got a Rust project coming up. Um, in the next uh, month or two, probably I'll be releasing or publishing the paper to how we do prioritization at RiskIO. And I think some of you guys have seen the the draft of the paper, but it's getting finalized. And it's actually we started independently, but it's more or less an instance of the Thomas scoring system in practice. So it'll be cool to see what Mr. Meritology thinks of it once it's published. Good. Very nice. I'll even uh, be a team player and send you feedback before it's published. So, uh, But go. it's very cool when two people working independently come up with similar things. You're either uh, geniuses or you're both nuts, but I prefer the former. Yeah, um, either way, I feel good about it. That's right. It keeps us going. Uh, so just a few things I haven't mentioned. Um, practically speaking, and thanks for your encouragement, Jay, I'm going to be splitting my blog, so I've got one that's academic. Uh, there's a whole bunch of things I want to write that are just going to be too far afield for the average uh, professional, and I'm going to have a professional blog, and I'm moving away from uh, Blogspot and uh, onto a static web platform. Um, I'm going to be experimenting with and exploring uh, a machine learning or uh, data science method that's not too well known, which is uh, topological data analysis. Uh, so people are familiar with like uh, clustering and distance sort of modeling. Uh, those are all embedded in some sort of metric space. You use some global measures of distance. Topological modeling only uses uh, local measures of neighborhoods, basically. And it has a lot of application to the work that I'm interested in doing and actually in security in general. So I look forward to uh, reporting on that. Um, then finally, I'd like to uh, pre-invite myself to a new uh, edition of the Data Driven Security Podcast. Once I'm out of stealth mode on this uh, uh, research orchestrator idea, I'd like to have myself and a couple of other people that are participating uh, to both explain the idea, uh, engage other people, and to con convey that this is going to be um, a community resource in the broad sense of community, not just something local and isolated. That'd so be fantastic. Yeah. That's, I'm guessing, between a month and three months away. Okay, fantastic. Yeah, we'd love to hear about it. So great, Bob. Do you have anything you want to say? No, I, I think I'm all talked out for the weekend. I'm I'm, I'm pretty I'm pretty you know you, you laugh at me about the whole daughter thing, but it, there were stairs, Jay. I don't know there were stairs. <laughs> no, I hear you. I hear you. I'm sorry that you're uh, you're tired from manual labor. All right. Well, thanks, guys. It's been fantastic having you on again, and thanks for taking the time, especially you know time away from the beach there, Michael. So thanks, guys, for for joining us. Thank you. I'm gonna head back to it. All right. All right, see you guys. See ya.